Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Grow Support. I'm super excited about this one because I got the chance to sit down with Sarah Cullerton just to talk about her journey in support operations, what it means, and how to get into it and the competencies you need. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about this topic specifically. I feel like it's been like on my brain in general <laughs> for the last like few months too. So I'm super excited because support operations, I feel like has been really coming into more of a highlight over mm -hmm. the past few years, especially with how much is happening in automation and AI over the past yep. few years as well. It's becoming more and more and more important. And I'm really curious to pick your brain and see what you think about it. And <laughs> we go from there. Yeah, for sure. Tell me about yourself. How'd you get into support operations? Was a, I was a team lead right of a support team right before I began into support operations but i'd always been doing operations work like side of desk like i was the one that was taking on the projects and like the systems would somehow end up under me and there became a point actually where i, I basically had to sweet talk them into creating a support operations role because it's like i can offer so much value to the company if i can just focus my time here because right now, like I have my team that I'm trying to give attention to and also all of these increasing systems needs and like strategic things that I want to give my attention to. And it just wasn't fair to really either group for me to split my attention. So um, finally got a chance to do that full time and uh, have someone take over my my team. Um, and it was uh it was huge to be able to actually start focusing on that so well i've been in an, a formal ops role actually about four years right around now i've been doing it like on the side of my other job for a while which i think probably a lot of people have very similar like it's like frying pan into the fire where you realize one day you're like oh my god i'm doing ops work all the time you know yeah <laughs> um, for for me i also came from kind of a similar thing i started very early stage in a company that i'm with, at with now and when i started it was kind of everything customer so you were doing all of support yep. all of the ops all of everything yep. And then we started to silo out of, hey, you're going to do most of the success stuff. I'm going to do more of the up stuff and make sure that you're successful. Let's start to focus in on that and, and really take the lead and, and go from there. Uh, I think it's really nice what you say, like you kind of just discover that you're doing it the whole time. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a whole position. Like there's a whole industry being developed on this. And uh, that was why I was so, I think, excited to like learn more and connect with other ops professionals too. Because like when you do come up through that, you are kind of self-taught and you're just kind of figuring things out on the fly. I mean, there's often there's no playbook for this job too. You're just kind of figuring things out and teaching yourself um and i think that's why connecting with other like ops professionals is so valuable just to see what other people are doing how are you solving this problem um things like that um but uh it's like it's, it's something that i look at and think okay yes i carved this career out myself but really when i look back at the um because like i was a theater kid i'm not i look at spreadsheets like how did i get here like that's you know 
that's a really weird path when you think about it. But when I look back at like when I, cause I started on the phones, you know, and like what well, I had really great leadership. So when I came to them, like as a, as a, like a shift lead, as a, um, somebody who was on the phone, someone who was a team manager. And I said like, Hey, this is a problem. This needs to get fixed. They didn't say, you know, oh, I'll think about it. I'm thinking about it. They said, cool, go fix it. And I got a chance to actually go accomplish things and start building up those skills and building up those muscles, um, which ultimately benefited the organization too, because they got those things done and that they basically were able to create an ops program without much effort on their part by just letting me do it. Which was getting getting your hands dirty is the best way to get in and get started. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What, now that you've been in the role officially for some time and have been doing it the whole time, how would you define support operations? What is it exactly? Yeah, so there's a few pillars to it. Um, there's, I think, what a lot of people think of initially when they see support operations. There's the day to day keeping the lights on system administration you're making things work you're building the things um but i think what really turns operations into something that goes from keeping things functioning to truly transformative for the business unit of support is somebody who's able to not just design good systems but who is looking strategically and looking proactively and has a very strong like data presence so you're you're spending not just time on reactive functions this is a need i'm going to build a system but you're spending time looking holistically at the business at the needs checking like long-term business KPIs, what's our performance at, and you're working backwards from where you see the opportunities and coming up with tooling and decisions and process from that way versus starting with your systems and adjusting there. You're starting from the big business needs, you're working on the data analysis, and then you're trying to come up with tooling and solutioning to match that. Um, and then from there too, so there's the data piece, the day-to-day the -day system administration, um, and then there's also documentation and enablement that comes with that too. Because if we're building a system, we can't just build and release, build and release. We have to do the change management. We have to bring people along. We have to make sure they know how to use the systems that we're building. Um, and then checking in with them too, like, how is this going? How is this working? um the continuous improvement cycle too yeah and for me i think about it as well and the pillars are super super similar for me mm -hmm. i think uh systems and tools definitely 100 percent. data and insights 100 percent uh when you look at enablement uh as well like what do you what would you include in that enablement piece when you're trying to do that change management around systems do you include like knowledge management teams and quality teams? Who do, you, who do you include there? Yeah, so anytime you can get a content person to help you out and be your, your, like, uh, your person on these projects, you are gonna be in really great shape. You don't always have that person available. So sometimes I'm building my own enablement, sometimes I'm working with a content team um, to help develop that, um, but I think that depending on the size of release 
making sure that you are doing like full touch with your end users. So yes, I can write a document and get it to the leads, but me being in a meeting with them, walking them through a process, doing user testing, doing focus groups, anything that's getting them physically touching and interacting, um, your product is going to help you out once you roll it to the team, um, but also just getting in there directly and doing live enablement, which can be hard sometimes when people are remote and you're just staring at a Zoom room. It can be so hard, I think, sometimes to, to really realize if people are actually getting it. Um, but live enablement, I think, is so important. And it's, you know, it's it's what makes this such an interesting and multifaceted job um, because you do have to have some of those people skills in addition to just the, you know, the real mathy function. I can build formulas in a system brain. You also have to have, like, I need to communicate a complex idea in a way that you're going to understand it skills as well um but yeah documentation 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 not only just for end user but for ourselves too because you know that way it saves me if i have to be if i'm going to be out for two weeks having planned for two parental leaves while being in this position like if you document things ahead of time for yourself then you don't have to document those things before you leave. But Sarah, my, my most productive documentation sprints are right before leave. <laughs> I know. And I say that as a like, learn from my mistakes, not from my habits thing. It's so hard to document as you go because you're just, you're in it, you're building, you're doing, and you realize you're like, oh my gosh, I'm down. you know? Yeah. Um, when, when you're talking about these pieces, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned, you know, you not only have to have a super process oriented mindset and a problem solving mindset, but also the communication, the enablement part of it. Mm -hmm. I think it's so interesting going from people who are frontline reps and that kind of really service piece into operations, you kind of take that along with you and that communication aspect for yeah. people who are coming from just a pure op side, how would you differentiate kind of what that kind of learning curve looks like uh, in separation? Yeah, I mean, coming from a straight operations perspective, I think you really have to tap into like the part of you that makes a pitch. So like when you are looking to, you say, okay, I want to put this into place. Okay, hey, I have this, this, this data and we need to make, you know, we need to make a, a change based on this. When you're doing a pitch, Think about that when you're working with your end users. Like how can you view them as your audience um, in some of that consensus building and collaboration skills? How can you use that to connect with them on the enablement piece? Um, and it's it's something that I think I have seen not come quite as easily to people who are not on the phones. Like, like I think support is actually such a perfect like path for this, honestly, because you do have to have both the you're, you come pre-built with problem solving and people skills. Like that combination is inherent to successful support agents and is really a very, very strong tool set when you come into um, operations. So I just think this focusing on consensus building and just the underlying concept of how do we get everyone on the same page 
And you don't have to be, you know, shiny, happy, bright customer service <laughs> voice to do that, you know. Um, as long as you're focusing on how do I make sure I'm thorough and how are we all getting on the same page with this, um, you're going to be in good shape. One of the reasons why I like stayed in support for a while is because when I was uh, in retail, like on mm -hmm. the actual floor of retail stores, I always yeah. had to call in to help customers. Uh, and I was the middleman between the customer and the actual support team that was that I was working with. And I was like, I feel like this could be so much better. Like, why am I doing this? And that's one of the reasons why, because when you come from a support in a frontline area, you have the experience of, I feel like it could be better. I understand yeah. the frontline experience and I understand what's going on. How yeah. can I start to shape it? And that's where you get into the really interesting spot of, okay, now I'm going to build it myself because I want to build a better experience. Yeah. I think that's exactly where support ops comes in and they say, hey, let's actually do it. Uh, and it gives mm -hmm. you the runway to be able to focus on that as well. For sure. And I think a lot of people that I have had ask me, hey, how do I get into ops? Like, how do I, how do I make that jump? Is people who tend to have that they've identified in themselves that they're good at assessing opportunities and solutions. So like, I see this problem. I see how I want to fix it. Uh, and they're like, I, that's the thing you, I, that's what I see you do. I want to get into that. How do I do that? Um, and I think what people don't often see, like that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg piece. What they don't often see about operations is everything underneath that. The, you know, the project plans, the stakeholder management, you know, the all of the 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 non-sexy things that go into testing your building. Excel yep. formulas over and over and over again for hours. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And like doing all of the really finicky less exciting stuff that goes into scoping and executing a project and that's often what i tell people to focus on is like bulk up your project management skills and learn what it takes to actually put something into plan put something into place build a plan and execute a plan versus just thinking about i have a problem here's how i want to solve it it's like okay now how do you build that solution and that's i think what really can take get you into an interview and set you up is if you can lay out here's how we're going to do it here's what the system is going to look like versus i have an idea i have a solution and also sticking to it as well right like when yeah. you you mentioned before you don't need to have that like customer service voice to go into like stakeholder management yeah sometimes you need to tell them no you need to stick to, to stick to the scope as well uh, i think that's super mm -hmm. interesting what other skills do you think it really takes to get somebody into ops besides this project management piece? Curiosity. Curiosity is foundational. Like, I think it's what takes it from system administration, keeping the password resets coming, you know, tweaking the fields to actually being successful and saying, okay, you pull it on something. Okay, this looks interesting. I'm going to keep pulling. I'm going to keep investigating. I'm going to look here. I'm going to keep peeling back layers of what's going on and that's when you really find the fixes that need to happen and you don't get there unless you're like oh what is that i'm gonna look closer 
And two, when you're solving a problem, you're going like you're going to be using systems that you've never used before. You're going to be building out processes that you typically never built before. You know, you're lucky if you get to come in and do something that you've done before. Like, that's great. That's awesome. I always get excited when that happens because it almost never does. You know, Sweet. easy win. Let's go. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so most of the rest of the time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach myself a new program. Okay, I got to teach myself about a whole new area. And you have to have a curiosity that propels you to collect that knowledge and makes you proactively look into things because there's typically, like I said, there's no playbook for this job often. Like if you want the skill, you have to go get the skill, you know, you want the solution, you have to go create the solution. And if you don't have a driving curiosity with like a tenacity, um, you know, you gotta be that person that's like, API, how hard is that to learn? I'm sure I can figure it out. You know, um, that's typically, I think, a pretty key thing for getting into this role and really making it that strategic, transformative kind of role. I think the curiosity piece is really, really important because one of the things that I run into a lot when I'm, you know, trying to consult members of the team to see how I can improve their experience or be able to help them from the operations standpoint, like how can I make your life easier or what do we need to achieve? A lot of the times I say, you know, what, how are things going right now? Oh yeah, things are pretty slow. It's okay. Uh, like things are working out. I said, okay, well, some context, one of the teams that I run is a, a B2C sales team. So they actually mm -hmm. want it to be busy, not necessarily cut it down. And so one of the things that they say, is, yeah, it's, it's pretty slow. And I say, okay, well, why is it slow? What's happening? What do you want more of? Do you want more calls? Do you want more chats? Uh, and I think then they start to get into that. Oh, you know, I want more of this. Okay, well, how can we get more of that? How can we start driving that muscle? Yeah. And if you don't have this curiosity mindset, you're only gonna look at that surface level and say, oh, it's, it's pretty slow. Okay, uh, but if you are curious, you're gonna say, okay, well, like I want more, how can I do it? You're gonna start questioning things and always questioning is, is also really important. Yeah, for sure. And I find that like when I've had either new roles that I've taken on or new business users, cause I, I, I do more in my most recent role, I do more than just support the support team. I also have a couple other like high transaction teams in the business, um, but I'll have one-on-ones with my stakeholders and they're like, oh, well, yeah, but nothing really else, you know, we're good on reporting and everything seems to be working. I'm like, so how else is it going? What else is happening? Like, even if it doesn't seem related, just tell me about it. Let's just talk about it. You know, and it's like all of a sudden we start to uncover, okay, there's performance management issues. Okay, so we're not hitting a certain thing. We're not feeling comfortable here. And it's like, and I think performance management is actually a pretty underrated portion of support operations to be honest like there's systems that support it that we typically administer but it's often i think something that's like okay well this is that's in the leads realm it's like do they if have you look at it in terms of enablement is one of the pillars of support ops yeah. and you say hey how can we enable your team to do better and how do we actually manage that what training do they need how can we put that on um i'm curious to understand how much of that like actual people management side of things uh, is also included in support ops, like workforce management, for example. How would you say is that also plays a role? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of equipping the team leads and holding them, I think, accountable too. It's like, okay, do you have the data that you need to effectively see how your team is performing? Like you say, okay, we're doing well on this. But it's like, do you know, like what, how do we have the right metrics in place for you to actually have insight on that? Or do we just think we're doing well? Do we just like, oh yeah, they're always filling this out. It's like, okay, are they though? And are you looking at that? and constructing things for them, making sure that they're fully equipped with all of the data that they need. And then taking those into those metrics, those trickle down metrics where it's like, okay, well, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at our CSAT. I'm looking at, you know, our customer sentiment here. And we're struggling here. The team leads are saying one thing, I'm seeing this end metric. How can I help equip them? And then say, okay, we have this information, we have this insight. What do those coaching conversations look like? How can I equip you? How can I give you more resources? What's not happening? What's the gap there? Because performance management is more than just a coaching conversation. There's a whole lot of infrastructure that goes into that. Yeah, do you have the tools that you need to succeed? Do you have the actual yeah. capability to be able to reach your goal or your target as well? Like if I'm focused on really trying to help a customer in a certain way. If you don't have the tool on that, how can I actually do that? Then yep. you're spending a lot of time trying to find workarounds and things when we could more effectively solve that problem by implementing the tool. I had, <laughs> it doesn't come down to coaching conversations. When I'm in coaching conversations, you uncover a lot by peeling back those layers when you're finding out. Like I discovered one of my team members was doing something manually forever and I was like, why are you doing this manually? We have automation yeah. for it. I built it. We we have the build. Uh, we can definitely help you. The only way you're going to have those conversations and find out how things are actually going is by having those conversations as well. And, and, and sitting with them and doing observations too. Like I try as much as possible to find excuses to just like hang with a support team member and just watch them working in the programs. And I see things where I'm like, oh my gosh, what are you doing going to a Word document for that? You know, like, what did you just pull up? What is that? You know, and it's like, oh, well, I have this. This is my this is my cheat sheet for these things that I have saved. And I'm like, okay, so one, we need to fix a process that's requiring you to have to have a cheat sheet. And <laughs> do we need, you know, like streamlined documentation? How can we make that? Is it do we just need a help text? Like, there's so many things that we yeah. can unlock. And that we wouldn't know because no one's recognizing it as a pain point and reaching out to us. There's no ops tickets. No one's bringing it in our in one on ones, you know. But you you go out and you see it, and those are the little things that are want to get a help demonstrate the value of ops to everyone as well. Um, but b they're just they just keep the they keep the machine turning, keep the queue chugging. <laughs> Indeed. I'm, I'm really curious, actually, because you mentioned like we're keeping the, the support queue running. We're making sure that everything mm -hmm. is running efficiently. When you think about support ops, where does it live for you? Does it live in support or does it live in a separate ops team specifically, just kind of in the organizational structure? Yeah, that's a good. And I've, I've, I've sat on both. I think for me, I have felt most effective when I am not sitting inside a support team directly. And I think that's because I've been able to have more of the 
business consultant relationship with the support team um, that will let me say, I don't think that's a, bit, a good direction for us to go. And I can be in more of a position to advise, consult, recommend, rather than having, honestly, my boss saying, this is what we're doing, you go build it, you know? Um, which I think depends on the company and it depends on who's running your support team and their preferred relationship with ops. Um, I think that, so it's just, you know, part of that is a little bit of my perspective, but I think that operations is often good when they're a little bit of a fresh voice and a disruptor sometimes too. They can look at things and say, hey, we need to make a change here. We need to, we, we have some big opportunity here. And when you're inside the support team, you can get lost in, I think, the weeds a little bit. Um, so yeah, for me, I think that's been the most effective. And it's actually interesting because I'm actually sitting on a, a, a revenue ops team now, which I haven't done before. Because, um, you know, I've been always on inside a support team specifically. Um, and so having that perspective, that wider company perspective of how what I'm working backward from isn't just support KPIs, it's company growth and how the the support team is contributing to company growth. It's been a very interesting perspective shift. Um, and you also get to track the ops through the entire customer journey and everything surrounding it throughout the core company as well. Uh, we also introduced revenue operations about a year ago or so. Uh, and going into that transition and really, really centralizing it is super, super helpful because then you also have somebody who's dedicated to looking at that. I'm still the support ops person, but I'm also leading and supporting the supporters at the same time. And we have RevOps on the side. So my relationship with them is really, really good because all our systems and automation are there. Every, everywhere is there. And they really do give that objective approach where you do get to be this business consultant side of it and say, hey, for our customer experience, we need to start doing this so that we can manage the relationship of the organization, make sure that we're hitting retention and growth. This is what we need to do and how we can build this for you. Uh, super, super interesting. Yeah. And what I feel like I've often been, I've often found myself fighting when I'm sitting in the support team versus when I've been in a, a separate organization is short-term versus long-term thinking. Because, I mean, we've all been there, you know, we've got fires to put out. We have, you know, you know, we have bugs that we're dealing with. Like it's very much, we are dealing with what is in front of us and we want to fix the things that are causing pain for us now. Um, and it feels like the only other like big picture, okay, what are we actually trying to do here is this more generalized efficiency, you know, and getting out of how do I fix what is in front of me? Because that's, that's the, the support team, that's director of support, manager support, that's their job. And it's my job to zoom out and say, where do we want to go? We can look at that and, and actually start building towards having like a long-term vision for what we want the support team to be, like what we want the support experience to be and actually start shaping and directing things versus firefighting. When you're talking about firefighting, I'm really curious what your 
almost like war story is of your <laughs> worst dumpster fire that you've had to deal with. Okay. <laughs> so we, this is, I can remember it to the day. Like I can just see it all happening in my mind. Um, it was early in the morning on like a Thursday morning, like two or 3 a.m. And I'd like weaseled my way into the Slack channels of all of the um, the engineering team. Cause they're like, it's easier to just have her in here instead of try and tell things. So I had all their, their so my phone just started blowing up. Alerts, 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 alerts. Everything's gone, everything's gone. I can't get to anything, it's gone. So we've been hit by a ransomware attack. And we had, a, this was a company that had a ton of on-prem stuff. So like it was hitting our no no was ended. service was down. This is a, this was it was like a reception service. It was a contact center. Everything was down, <laughs> and, and we couldn't get into anything. And um, so we basically had to we, we brought everyone in. We switched everything. We, we lost all of our service. Everything that we had internally for communication, all of our product. It was all gone. Basically, we had left was Salesforce. So, brought people in. They had their they had their like couple of cloud based programs and cell phones, and we just started plunking out responses. And we were, I was literally running cell phones in between people to try and get these calls processed. Like we were able to get into like to Twilio and have things forwarded over to personal cell phones. And like, it was bananas. And it took us like a couple days actually to get fully back up and running. Um, but we, it was probably the biggest dumpster fire that I've ever been through. And that was like, like five alarm major fire. Yeah. <laughs> You're just actually running live in, in, in their physically de delivering cell phones between people um to make things happen so yeah that was i think i think the biggest dumpster fire i've ever and that contextualizes everything else i'm like this is fine we'll be okay <laughs> oh my so, yeah that's crazy that's my worst. I, I couldn't imagine that's crazy and when because so often you're you're fixing things that are going wrong and you're yeah. building a lot of the times it can seem like you are kind of being asked to tread water while you're fixing these issues and build the boat looking forward at the, you know, actually being able to, to ship things off and move forward. Would you have one of those instances where you're like a really big win that you're super excited about on the opposite side? Yeah. Of fires? <laughs> I know. Of course, yeah. I think that, and I think it ties back to the, the performance management piece too is when we were at um this is at my previous company we had been looking at um qa systems and to replace you know our our google sheets process that we had um and i was able to have enough conversations with the business and talk through what our our needs really really were and turn that into a more comprehensive solution so that we were able to get something that not only showed our QA, um, but also 
let us see because we were using a ticketing program that was not letting people see where they were uh and like actually set up individualized performance dashboards and have like a one-on-one -on -one, like a home for those coaching conversations like we didn't have like a lattice uh type system where people were having strategic structured trackable one-on-ones it was all in the ether i was able to like take that initial need do a wider assessment and turn that initial tooling conversation into something that created a much more comprehensive foundation for performance management that set us up to reach some of our our other goals and actually align the whole area of leadership of the business towards a more productive and manageable future for that instead of just scattered to the wind as it had been previously which felt like a pretty big win so sometimes you just have to look you have to look for your foot in the door you know there was another time um where so is in my old company all of our transactional emails were repliable to the support team Which, good good and bad thing, right? Like you have people who are like, I sent an email to support, like they replied to the no reply. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but it's like, it, it was reduced friction for our customers, sure. But that meant that we had, we basically had staff solely to sort through the disasters. Like you can cut off some of the auto, most of the autoresponders, but like you get into these like out of office or, or these like multiple group messages where they're just like in it and they just keep emailing you and you can't tell because it looks like an email and you have to read it. It's it was a disaster. Um, and there is so something that I was trying to get rid of for years. Turn it into a nice, helpful auto reply that links to our knowledge center, all this stuff, tells them where to open a ticket. And there was there was a there was a time, this was post-COVID, when things were really challenging for support. And the executive team was like, anything we can do to help reduce ticket volume, help support that team, how can we give extra resources? And I'm like, hello. So what if I could slice off? 30% of our tier one case volume with one simple product change. And they finally let me do it. You have to wait for the right moment sometimes to get things like that through and get your foot in the door, which can be hard to wait for sometimes. Nice, and especially in an operations role you are needing to liaison with so many different parts of the organization. I think ops is one of the most cross-functional uh, opportunities that you have. So you really get to get a piece of every single part of the business. Is yeah. there like a favorite kind of department or team that you've loved working with cross-functionally? I love building relationships with the IT teams at companies that I've been at. You're always, you will, inevitably always end up working on some sort of project with the it folks also the it folks are where the fun people are at like it and support i feel like are the two most fun departments at any company and they're they're just they're natural allies um but there's a, not only is there a lot of projects that like it's good to build a relationship there because you're gonna need favors from them um but there's a lot of overlap too and i've learned a lot from 
the IT professionals that I worked with too, because we're doing similar work. It's just internal versus external. Um, but overall, I think as ops is in a great position to be a very giving role inside an organization. There's a lot that you can do to help support other teams. And I don't want to talk about it in just like transactional, like I'm going to build up, I'm going to give all these favors just so that I can get favors in return. But like what, how you are able to leverage your position with the support team to help build the relationships across the organization is going to benefit you in the long run. Obviously, you have to protect your workflow and not just do every single thing that everyone asks you to do. But if someone's coming to you looking for some information, like, hey, I heard you would know about this. Hey, can you help me with this? If you can do it, do it. It's really going to help you out because you will inevitably need something from them. You will. You just will. You're going to need something from every department at one point. And it, it's really beneficial to build those relationships as much as you can. I think one of the funny things is you say like, yeah, people really want to get into ops to build things and they look at it kind of at that top level, but they don't think of all the things below it. But I think one of the biggest things that we've talked about like, across this conversation as well is that communication, collaboration, and really that ability to be able to build those relationships uh, with others because you do work with frontline teams to enable them. You work with reps to be able to find out what are the issues that they're mm -hmm. facing work with the other departments and teams to make sure that they're successful and the organization as a whole to make sure that it's successful. So yeah. I think relationship building is one of the most important parts of ops because that's For where sure. you really start to get to do the cool things. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, consensus building for sure. Yep. Across your journey of ops, I'm really curious if there's one thing that you've learned that stuck with you across your entire journey that you still live by today. Hmm document, document, document. Um, again, still bad at that. Um, I think this is the biggest thing, and this is also the biggest thing that I'm working on, but it's the most important. And I think it goes into the relationship building piece, but it's, it's listening, listening. And I think it ties into curiosity, it ties into a lot of the things we talked about, but my instinct, I am someone, I'm like, and this is what got me into ops. I see a problem. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. I see a solution. But sometimes if I just take my solution, see my problem, and I just go, I haven't seen the full problem yet. And I haven't fully landed on what the best solution is going to be yet because I haven't taken the time to listen. And also you find that there's so many things, that, uh, problems that are out there that you don't even know about because I'm so laser focused on what I think I need to go and do. But I haven't fully listened to everything that's going on. And I haven't listened to my stakeholders. I haven't listened to the business. So really taking the space, because it feels like a race against time sometimes. You have so many things on your to-do list. You have so many things that you need to accomplish and so many things that people want you to do and it's like it can really be hard to give space to just fully hearing and taking in what's happening but you're going to build a better product and a better solution in the long run if you add a little extra time up front to listen thoroughly 
and solve the right problem. That's, I think, my biggest, my biggest underlying goal is to make sure I'm listening. I love that because if you do take that time to listen, then you really can, what you say, understand the fuller picture. Actually, you know, you can go too deep too early into a process or something and say, hey, this process is, you know, it's, you, you, you did a really great job building this whole entire thing, mm -hmm. but it's not aligned with what we're doing and yeah. what we're doing. And it plays into well, every aspect. It's a support skill too. How well did you read the customer's email? How many questions did you ask? Did you really listen to what they were telling you about what they're experiencing? Or did you just see a keyword and send them a knowledge article and now you're going to go back and forth for the next week over what's actually going on when you could have solved it the first time if you had listened? And that's, I think, yeah. the support we are so right in this job. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it taking this the time is great. and yeah. finding your journey through through support ops and really i think giving also other people the ability to kind of see what it takes and what it entails in terms of a cultural learning aspect to what ops really is obviously there's a lot of the practical depth below it as well uh to definitely yeah. learn uh, thank you thank you so much for sure yeah appreciate it and i hope you have a great rest of your day <laughs> you too. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, Sarah. Bye. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And in case you want to catch us in the community, you can always join us in Support Driven to connect with us on a more direct level.